I'm Mark Henson, Chief Imagination Officer of Sparkspace, and this is the Slapcast. Hey, Shannon Lee here, your Slapcast host, and we have arrived at episode 15. I'd really love it if you would uh, subscribe and share the Slapcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. And if you ever want to reach out to us directly, you can do that at slapcast at relayleadership.org. I'm always interested in hearing what topics you'd like me to cover and or what guests you'd like us to try to have on the show. And you can reach us on all the socials at at Relay leadership. Now we have some upcoming training opportunities at Relay. I want to make you aware of them because one of them is brand new. So first there's a public offering of Care to Lead this week on Wednesday. It's not too late to sign up. We just need to know by noon tomorrow, by Tuesday. So if you're interested, hop to it. You can find the information and registration at relayleadership.com slash care to lead. Care to lead is our signature servant leadership program. It's a workshop where we take you through our model for servant leadership. It's a simple four-step model. Also, I need to mention that we have two long-term programs. They're called NextGen and ExecGen. NextGen is for young professionals. ExecGen is for more experienced professionals, 20 plus years experience. And we are enrolling now for 2020. Both have limited capacity. ExecGen in particular, uh, for 2019, it sold out in a month. So it's, we anticipate that happening again. Next gen, I have 35 seats available at this time. In exec gen, I have only 10. So if you want info on any of those programs, again, reach out to us via the Slapcast email and I'll get back to you. Slapcast at relayleadership.org. Now the newest program, well, it's not new to us, but it's the first time we've offered it publicly. It's called SL2. It's a program by Ken Blanchard Companies. We use a lot of their products. We are a Ken Blanchard Channel product. It's the most widely taught leadership model in the world. Now, what's interesting about this leadership model, it is based in servant leadership, but what it does is it creates a shared process and language and model for building leadership across all levels of your organization. It connects seamlessly to management essentials and coaching essentials, which a lot of our local business partners are familiar with those and have sent their people to those programs. It's a one-day workshop. It gives you game-changing techniques that immerse learners in SL2 very quickly, very deeply, and effectively. The outcome is that learners get up to speed, and you can start using SL2 very fast, even faster than normal. Now, normally this is a $600 per person program, but we are offering it for $450, and the information is on our site. It's going to be September 12th, and you can find that information at relayleadership.com slash Ken Blanchard, or you can just contact me directly. So we've been talking for a little while about gurus and today's guest doesn't really call himself a guru, but I think he definitely is one. He's very unique. He brings his very unique value to the world and to the community here in Columbus. His name is Mark Henson. He owns a creative meeting space downtown called Spark Space. It's a city favorite. Everyone loves going to Spark Space. They offer lifestyle meeting and conference rooms for team building and professional development. And Mark's title, I love, it's actually the Chief Imagination Officer. He's also the author of Ordinary Superpowers, and he's a speaker and retreat leader. So let's get started.
Mark. It is so good to see you and have you on the Slapcast today. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, well, that's good to hear because um, you're stuck. We locked the door. You can't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm looking around nervously like, what have I gotten myself into? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I, I wanted you as a guest on the Slapcast for lots of reasons, not the least of which is our The loose theme we've been working with lately are gurus of Columbus, which is the idea of being a specialist or known for something specific. And so when I thought about this category, I immediately thought of your book, Ordinary Superpowers, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Now, I know you don't necessarily call yourself a guru. I get that. I think the general idea is the same. I believe everyone has what I've been calling a unique value that they bring to the world. And that part of our work, if we want to enter into it, is kind of figuring out what that unique value is. And so when I was thinking about that, I thought, well, that's that's ordinary superpowers. Sure. Probably not the way you would you would truncate it, but it, that was the connection that I made, if you will. So I'd love to ask you just to kick things off. How did you land on this idea of ordinary superpowers? Like most people who kind of get into something or start something, I, I did it the old fashioned way. I needed it myself, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd actually gone through a period of my my life and my career where I felt really stuck. I felt like I had gotten off track and I didn't really even know it at the time. Uh, the The long story short here is that I went through a period where um, I had started my business 20 years ago with all of my superpowers sort of intact and I was using them fully. I just didn't know that's what they were. You know, I was just sort of naturally going about building this business, using my creativity. My, my superpowers are discovering new things and simplifying things and, um, and then communicating a lot through writing and speaking and marketing and things like that. So all of those things came into play was I was building my business. Well, once it got built and it was more mature, Uh, I just slipped into this administrator manager role instead of this builder creator role. And I got stuck in that role for like eight years, Mm -hmm. which led to literally depression, uh, frustration, feeling like I wanted to quit all of that. And so what I ended up doing was as one of the steps, I decided to, you know, focus back on the things that I'm really good at, focus back on my superpowers. And I had a coaching program I was in that really encouraged that kind of behavior of focus on what you're really good at and let go of everything else. So I tried that and it worked and I felt better and I got happier and got more connected and I started having better results again. And I thought, you know what? Uh, I can't be the only one who needs to know that that's one of the keys to kind of re-engaging if you get disengaged. And so I wrote this book and I started doing workshops on it and I'm still doing it. I mean, the book came out two years ago and it's still literally ramping up. So there's definite need for that. I'm not the only one as as it turns out. Absolutely. And you know, you are, uh, of all the guests we've had on the Slapcast so far, you're probably the sixth or seventh that has indicated that coaching was something that helped them to kind of narrow in on either a problem or a solution, or sometimes it's, I guess, sometimes both. Um, you don't have to go into specifics, but kind of break down how that coaching experience helped you and where, where you think you might've been had you not had that coaching experience. Uh, the coaching that I was in at that time was kind of an organized coaching program for small business owners. And 
we meet, we met four times a year for a workshop and then in between conversations, you know, every quarter. And there was a structure to it, but part of that structure was walking through like this process of, Hey, what are you really good at doing and zero in on that. And then here's how to, here's how to get rid of everything else. So a lot of that sort of instruction and encouragement. And then one of my coaches within that program is one of the ones who really kind of pushed me to like, no, 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 go back, go back to what, what you know, you're really good at, go back to and get in touch with that inner superhero kind of thing. Um, that same coach actually also at one point, uh, really encouraged me to take a sabbatical, hmm. which is kind of what kicked off this whole sort of shift. Finally, for me, I'd gone through that big, long period and I was just like, kind of, I was done. I was ready to walk away from my business and quit and just shut it down. I, I didn't know what to do. And she said, before you do that, just once you take some time off, like take as much time off as you possibly can. And she encouraged me to take a sabbatical and I was able to carve out seven weeks when I just left work. I set it all up nice. ahead of time. We prepped for it, left work for seven weeks, never called in, never checked my email, went off of social media during that time. And that I, I, I came back thinking, all right, I'm going to come back so refreshed and I, this is going to be the answer. I'm going to figure out my life. And I actually came back feeling as bad or worse than when I left. Oh, no. But <laughs> that's not what I expected to hear just now. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I know. And that's why I tell you the story because uh, I thought it was going to solve all my problems. Sure. But what it did is it kicked off like a year long like <clears throat> inquiry for me of like, why, why am I still there? Why am I still like that? It made me dig deeper, made me kind of focus on a lot of other things and explore more than I probably would have if I hadn't taken that time off and, and come back like I did. If I had come back really refreshed and kind of hit the ground running again and felt really passionate, I probably would have gone a whole different direction. I yeah. probably would have just been more of the same, but it allowed me to, to pause and take a shift. So getting that outside coaching of somebody just kind of looking me in the eye and saying, Hey, you need to do something different. Um, that was really, really beneficial for me. You, know, you said something that I want to point out because I think it's not talked about enough and and we don't have to go into the the details of is it clinical or not, but I too have experienced depression in leadership. And I would say a lot of it, not all, a lot of it had to do with the same experience you described, which is operating in an area that is not to use your to use your terminology, not my superpower. Right. So like I have an ability or a competency where I can do something okay and maybe I do it out of necessity but I'm dying inside doing it. For yeah. me, I, I just talking to another podcast guest who specializes in details. You might know Brittany Dixon, you know, details for me are like the bane of my existence. I can pay attention <laughs> to them. I understand they're important and I have a high appreciation for people that are detail oriented, detail oriented people that come to me with lots of questions. I actually love it because I love that they're thinking about those things because yeah. I don't have to. Yeah. But when I'm doing them, I'm hating life and I actually feel depressed. Now I'm not, I want to be careful because I do know people that have clinical depression and I'm not talking about that. And I'm certainly not making light of that. However, I would call it situational depression, sure. right? And it's just as devastating. It made me feel like I don't want to get up that next day right. and, and face the day, not like a suicidal thing, but just, I just want to sleep, right. you know? And I think that, that part of leadership is a part that leaders don't talk about enough. And I think it's 
while mental health, mental illness still has a lot of stigma attached to it, where I don't hear it being talked about enough is in the professional setting and how so many of us are suffering and we don't know how to find an answer. Let's talk about that then, yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, I, I'll talk about my depression all day long if you want. <laughs> and I sound like the happiest depressed guy in the world, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, like you, I, I, I did not have clinical depression. I have been in counseling. That was the second part of my sort of emergence from that period of my life where I started focusing on, on my strengths, my superpowers. That got me to a certain point, but I still felt like, wow, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to work some days. Like, And this is in a business that I created that I loved. It was right. like it was like being married to someone you love, but you just didn't want to see. You know, it was like- <laughs> You're like, what? That makes no sense There's to me. There's a lot me. of cognitive like, dissonance there. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I felt really conflicted there. And I, when I started focusing more on my strengths, the, the one thing that happened, it reminded me of those Claritin commercials on TV where they go through the whole commercial and it looks kind of normal, but then at the end they peel back the corner and then there's all this color that you, it was in color before, but now there's real like vibrant color. And I felt like that was my life. Like I had just peeled back the corner and I could kind of start to see the color, but I realized the rest of it was kind of yeah. grayed out to a certain degree. And so that's when I'm like, I, I'm going to finish this out. I'm going to go get counseling. So I got counseling and in that counseling, and actually I still see the counselor once in a while, um, in that counselor, in one of my sessions, she said, uh, there's a word for what you're experiencing. It's called depression, right? <laughs> I'm like, really? Like, I, I, I mean, I just didn't, I didn't consider myself depressed. Yeah. And she said, you're not what we would call clinically depressed, but you, you have been in a low grade depression. It sounds like for like seven or eight years. Wow. I'm like, is that even possible? She goes, it happens to people all the time, partly because they get off track or they're on the wrong path or they're unsatisfied in a relationship, but they stay there. And it just sort of weighs everything down. It doesn't get to the point where you're like technically clinically depressed or diagnosed that way. But she said, there's definitely a low grade depression and you're, and you're in it and you're staying. She's like, at that moment, she's like, you're still in it. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. I am. That doesn't mean I don't experience moments of happiness and joy and, sure. and, and enjoyment of my life. But it is something that like I can easily slip back into even now, even though, you know, I've gotten counseling and I've tried to, to work my way through a lot of that. And you're absolutely right. People don't talk about it. And I know this because every time I do talk about it, because I do some public speaking and I do workshops and I, I freely talk just like this. I'll mm -hmm. talk about it all day long if you want me to. People will come up to me afterwards and like, out of everything you said today, I'm so glad you said that thing about being depressed. And I'm like, well, what about all that other wonderful stuff we were talking about in yeah. the workshop? Like the thing you really came here for. And then I started realizing, you know, like, well, maybe some people that's what they really needed was to hear that. So I, that's why I don't mind talking about it. And for some weird reason, I feel no shame about it. I feel I've never, that's never bothered me to, to admit that I I've suffered and I do suffer from depression sometimes. But a lot of people don't feel that way. A lot of people try to hide it or they struggle with it. So when we do talk about it and somebody recognizes that, they're like, wow, man, that was amazing. Thank you for doing that. So hopefully even this episode you know, maybe touches a, a person or two that way. Yeah, I firmly believe that when you call things out, it almost... Almost, my, that's my dog, by the way. Uh huh. In case anyone sure wondered, it was. she's a full 10 pounds and snores like a St. Bernard. So, 
hey, we're doing this. This is life. Um, so thanks, Mia. Now I've lost my my uh, my thought process here. You know, when I um, when I think about the work of Brene Brown, which sure. I cannot summarize right at this moment, but one of the things she talks about is bringing your whole self to the world and specifically to the workplace, but to the world. And this interesting thing takes place when we try to hide those parts of ourselves. We think that whole self means like the best version of perfect me self, or the yeah. perfect yeah. self. Yeah. yeah. And so we've gotten those things confused. So what happens is, is there's plenty of people out there bringing their perfect self to the world. You take one scan through Instagram and there you have it, right? The problem is what I believe people are hungry for is for our whole self because our whole self, including the depression, including the warts and the, and the scars and all that kind of stuff is actually what makes us interesting and it makes our story. It's what adds the flavor to our life. Sure. And when we withhold that, we actually miss an opportunity to really connect meaningfully with people because nobody really believes that your life is perfect. Nobody believes that you know, you wake up every, up every day, you know, like Beyonce says, I woke up like this. No, you didn't, you know? <laughs> and, and so you mean all those pictures on Facebook and Instagram are not real. They're not, they're not like right now I'm recording this podcast. Normally we take photos as we go. And Jonathan, you're more than welcome to take photos. I have no makeup on. I have a t-shirt on and I just don't care. Like when, <laughs> when I'm working from home, really? Which, cause I got dressed up for this. When you, you look really fancy in that polo shirt. Um, you know, when, when I go to certain meetings, yes, I, I wear certain clothes. Sure, I yeah. do certain things because I, you know, quite frankly, society expects us to show up a certain way. And the other thing is I'm Italian and without makeup, I have somewhat dark circles. And the reaction I always get is, oh, what's wrong? Uh, I'm like, nothing. This is just me. You know, <laughs> just, I'm not sad either. It's just my face. Yeah. It's what just, are you saying? Yeah. It's just my face. <laughs> so like the next time I'm like, well, get her, better get some more concealer. Um, but no, so I appreciate you being willing to share that with your audiences because I have found, and I also have worked with a coach and one of the things, um, specifically for public speaking, but what's interesting about the work I did with that coach was he encouraged me to stop focusing on what I want to say and what I want people to know and start focusing on what I want myself to experience emotionally in that moment when I'm sharing with people mm, yeah, and to pull from the deepest, most authentic part of myself, even if it means sharing something personal. And of course we get to choose where that boundary is, of course. Sure. Right? And what I have found is like the experience you had, more people come up to me afterwards and they don't talk about the bigger points I was trying to make. They sure. talk about the story I told about, and I recently told a story at an event where mm. I had that aha moment where I was like, I woke up on a Monday morning and I was like, oh, the day came. I was disappointed that the day arrived because mm. I was going through so many setbacks at the time professionally. And I shared that experience with an audience of 300 people. And that was the thing people latched onto. Like, thank you for saying that. I feel like that all the time, you know? Yeah. And in a way it gives people, it, it lessens it. It like, it, it kind of decreases the power because it helps us all know that we're having this common experience. And I think the leaders fall into this trap of, I need to, I need to put my best self, as you said, out there, which is that sort of whitewashed version of I, I try everything I can to, to, to be as perfect as I can or make all the right decisions. And I don't want anybody to see my weakness or my vulnerability. Um, and I think in interpersonal relationships, in, in leader and follower relationships, uh, there seems to be this lack of 
intimacy, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that seems like a weird word to throw in the world of, of kind of leadership and professional, uh, you know, professional work. But I I just, I don't know. I I guess I got tired and I'm still a little tired of, of just not being able to be me. Yeah. A hundred, completely me. Depression and all, whatever, you know, like, uh, I mean, I, I drop the F bomb every once in a while. <gasps> you know what I mean? Like it's that, so much less work just being you though. That, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's me. And I, I'm I, I can't like just hold that back and pretend that that's not me anymore. Right. Um, and that alone is just like so freeing actually when you do that. And what I find is you actually become way more magnetic to people when you're like that. I agree. And your relationships like deepen almost immediately when you just let your guard down and and you're uh, okay to be vulnerable, okay to be yourself, warts and all. Um, people seem to like it. You I, know? I 100% agree with that. I'll, I'll share one little experience that connects with yours. I too had that stuck feeling. And the Claritin moment for me was the revelation that I had a lot more control than I thought over my experiences, meaning that there is a physiological thing occurring, which is there's a circumstance in my life, an occurrence, an event. I've applied meaning to that. Those meanings give me thoughts. Those, and that, that meaning I apply is rooted in my childhood and it's largely automatic. I have thoughts about that. I have feelings about that. And then I have actions as a result of those feelings. So if that's true, then... Maybe I can't completely control that initial meaning and thought, but I can control what I decide to let it continue to mean after that, which sure. means I can now have a little bit more control over my emotional response and ultimately my reactions, my like my actions afterwards. And now I talk about it like it's so simple. It's, it, it's, it's simple, but not easy. But when I learned that concept and started applying that to my life, now when I have those situational days where... I wake up one day, I'm like, wait, this is seven days in a row that I've been feeling that crap and not wanting to get out of bed. Now my first thought is, okay, Shannon, what thoughts are you having? Mm-hmm. You know, and I can really self-evaluate and really take that inventory and start to take control back a little bit sooner. And, and I'm getting better and better at it. Not perfect. I still have those days where I'm like, screw it. I don't even care what thoughts I'm having. I'm going to indulge myself a little bit and feel crappy, yeah. <laughs> but I am getting much better at that. And, um, it is, I love that imagery of that Claritin commercial because every Everyone has seen that, and that's exactly what it felt like. Yeah, I've never had anybody go, "What, what commercial are you talking about?" Everybody yeah. watches TV. I don't care what they say. <laughs> <laughs> everybody eats McDonald's, and everybody watches TV. Don't believe anything else. <laughs> Someone, some comedian, just made a joke about McDonald's the other day. Oh, um, I think Jim Gaffigan talks about that. He's yes. like, no one admits to eating McDonald's, but they sell a billion hamburgers that's a day right. somehow, right? Somebody's going there. Yeah. I, you know, I, I I do something similar, but I actually go, uh, I have been working on, on starting with the way that I feel right. Mm-hmm. And, and where I'm feeling something. So sometimes when I have those feelings where I don't want to get out of bed or I'm really struggling with something, you know, sometimes you feel it in your chest. Sometimes you feel it in your neck and your shoulder. Sometimes you get a, you know, a raging headache or whatever. And I'm starting to really pay attention more to that stuff and saying, okay, if that's what I'm feeling, like, like where could that be coming from? Mm-hmm. And it's usually because of something that I haven't expressed or I haven't sort of like ex- even expressed to myself, something I'm holding back, something I, I haven't told another human being that I need to tell, uh, something I need to say directly to somebody. Um, and a lot of times it's because of the stories I have in my head about what will happen if I do that. 
And so I like hold on to it way too long. So I'm trying to like pay more attention. I'll even say things like, you know what? I'll say it out loud. Even to my wife gets to experience some of this, you know, (laughs) I'm feeling like this real stress in my chest. And I think it's because of what happened between the two of us. Mm -hmm. Right. And last night when we were talking about this and it didn't go quite the way I expected. And I found that if I don't like get this stuff out, like that feeling stays with me and that depression comes in a lot faster. But if I'm able to tune into that and tune into what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and maybe where those stories are coming from, then all of a sudden, like, wow, I get through things a lot faster way faster. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things we talk about in, um, in care to lead, we talk a lot about this mindset piece. And even though from an academic standpoint, they, whoever they is, the specialists say that the cascade is think, feel, act, that we just not necessarily conscious of that order, that each person is unique in that where they tap into or where they first begin to notice something is off center. So for me, it's, it's in my thoughts, mm-hmm. which makes sense. You look at any assessment I've ever taken, they will all tell you that I veer towards logic and thinking. Um, I internalize some people, uh, lean towards their feelings, some towards uh, physical sensation. So it totally makes sense that for some of us and the example that you gave, that it comes into your awareness in could be a thought, could be feeling, could be a physical reaction. What matters is that we eventually pay attention yeah, to so it. It's raising that awareness. Yeah. Tuning so, your radar to it, whatever, whatever it is. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So what I'd like to do is I want to hear from you more about your book, Ordinary Superpower. So tell us what are ordinary superpowers? Ordinary superpowers are those unique talents, abilities, and skills that each one of us have. It doesn't necessarily mean we were born with it, but we have them right now at this moment in our life. And it's basically our greatest sort of way to succeed, I guess, is a good way to talk about it. Um, it's the things that where we have the most impact when we, when we employ these powers or these talents, uh, we tend to, uh, enjoy them the most. Um, we, they're the things that light us up, the, the types of actions and behaviors that, that really kind of get our juices going and also benefit other people the most. So really I have kind of a four part test of what makes an ordinary superpower. And the first part is, is it's something that comes naturally to you. Um, do, again, doesn't have to be something you were born with, but right now it feels like something that you could do with your, your eyes closed. Um, the second part of the test is, are you better at it than most? Do you have more of that strength than most of the people that you know? You don't have to be, you know, the Michael Phelps or LeBron James of this thing. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you look at your family, friends and your your circle of influence, you tend to have more of this skill than they do. It's not a judgment about whether you're a better person or not. It's just a matter of yeah. am I am, am I better or do I tend to explore more ideas than anybody else? That was how, what I came up with. I'm like, yeah, nobody else likes to brainstorm like I do, it seems like in mm-hmm. my circle. So, yeah, I have an elevated level of that. Um, the third part of the test is does it help other people? Most of our superpowers, without a doubt, help us. It's how we succeed. It's how we we kind of move through life and we do the things that we want to do. But if it doesn't help somebody else, 
then I wouldn't consider it a superpower. It's just kind of a fun thing for you. Uh, and then finally, is it a fun thing for you? Uh, is it something that you just really enjoy doing? Is it something that gives you energy when you use it? Even if you end up super tired at the end of the day of using your superpowers all day, at the end of those days, you wake up, you, you go to bed thinking, I can't wait to get up and do it again tomorrow after I kind of recharge my batteries, as opposed to fe feeling so depleted by an activity that you never want to do it again. If you feel that way about anything, probably not a superpower. Or you've just depleted yourself over and over and over and over and over, and you, you just need a little longer recharge, I guess, but that's really helpful. Thank you. Now, why do you think it's so important to discover our su ordinary superpower? Well, most of our superpowers we use, uh, it's easiest to use them at work. It seems for most people because we tend to, well, I'm going to rewind that for a second and say, what we should do is we should probably choose a path in life that matches up to what our, our superpowers are, what our talents and abilities, the things that light us up. What we tend to do is we tend to choose a path that we think leads to success, mm. right? So we get on a path and it leads us to... Like job it, security. It used to lead us to the corner office. Now yeah. it leads us to the co-working space probably, right? <laughs> uh, because that's just the way the world is, has shifted and changed. But we, we think that we're going to get to some destination by following some sort of career path that leads us through, you know, in, in my case, my, before I started my own business, I worked for a design firm and I was a copywriter. I was using my, a lot of my superpowers, a lot of my creativity and exploration and all of that. And I was really good at that. And I actually really loved it. But the career path of advancement there was um, become a project manager and then maybe become a department head and then maybe become a, a VP of whatever. And then, you know, maybe you'll lead the company someday. And that was kind of the only path. It was the only reward path lined out for anybody. It was the only way to make more money was to follow that path really other than incremental raises and stuff. So we set up this whole system to kind of force us into this success path whether that's the path we should be following or not. And I learned this very quickly when I finally became a project manager and I failed miserably and I hated every minute of it. And not because I failed, but because I didn't really want to do any of that stuff, but it was the only path to success. So I believe that we should try to get on those paths that actually line up with our superpowers. And here's why. Look at how much time we spend at work. It's like a third of our life, yeah. right? Um, and in your adult life, let's say you go to work at age 20, 20, 22, and you work till most people work now till they're 70. That's 50 years. Full time, 2,000 hours a year, give or take, 2,000 times 50. That's 100,000 hours. <laughs> How do you want to spend it? You want to spend it doing stuff you don't love just to get to a place you didn't really want to get to in the first place? Or do you want to spend it doing stuff where you have an impact and where you get to really get lit up every day by what you do, regardless of how much money you make? Because after a certain point, money really doesn't matter. I mean, they've proven that over and over that above a certain dollar amount, you can make a, a million, 10 million, 50 million, doesn't matter. After about, I think it's sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. Oh, your happiness, your happiness doesn't make any difference. I actually heard once you hit a certain money. point, I want to say it's two hundred thousand or something that your happiness level starts to go down again. Yeah. because you start comparing yourself to people who make like a million dollars. Right. And yeah, and, and there's just never enough. Yeah. When, if money is your goal, there's just never enough. So why not just do the things that light you up and where you have the most impact? So that makes total sense to me. So what do you think? gets in the way, like what are, what are the roadblocks 
or maybe fears, if you will, whatever you think is appropriate for people stepping out into those things and really doing the work to figure that kind of stuff out? Are there some limiting beliefs going on here? I mean, why don't more of us do this? Yeah, I think, well, when it comes to our powers, I think we devalue our powers, first of Mm. all. So we look at what we're really good at doing or what really lights us up and we think, ah, there's really not any value in that. Or other people won't think that, the, 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 can't everybody do this? Like why, why, who am I to actually do this for a living or who am I to, to find a career that lines up with this superpower? Why do I deserve that? Or will that even work? Like there's just all this self doubt and devaluation that goes on. And part of it's because these things are so wired into us. This is why I call them ordinary superpowers, which is the name of the book. Um, it's they're so hardwired into us that they just feel normal and natural and just not special at all. So we devalue them and therefore we don't proactively go out and seek ways to use them or seek opportunities where we could actually use our powers on a regular basis or in a job. You know, the other big things are, you know, what will people think? Um, and then uh, a big one that I find the longer you're in a career is, is the golden handcuffs. Mm. I, I make so much money. I can't give that up or I have, you know, really good benefits where I am. So I'll just keep slogging away at a job I really don't like, or that it doesn't use my superpowers and I'll just like stay stuck there forever. Like, well, I understand that to a point, like everybody needs a feeling a little bit of security, but like, how long can you do that? Yeah. You know? I know too many people that are stuck in that place where they're like, this is what I really want to do over here, Yeah. but I'm so afraid that I won't make enough money. I won't, you know, have paid vacation. I won't have X, Y, Z. And I heard, I already shared this once before, a mentor of mine, um, I let something that like that slip out of my mouth around benefits, I think. And he said, I thought you were an owner. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, only employees think that way. Mm. And I was like, ouch. And, and so, and I am an owner. I mean, I don't own, and this is a nonprofit, but the point is, is, you know, the, the, as the head of an organization, it, it is very entrepreneurial. What we do, um, you have to kind of pick a lane. Are you going to think like an owner? Are you going to think like an employee? And it's hard when you're still thinking like an employee, benefits, vacation time, salary, dependable income. It's hard to imagine what's on the other side of that if you let that go. Yeah. Oftentimes, the things that you thought were a big deal that you were worried about are actually not that big of a deal. At least that's what I have found. Oh, yeah. There is, there's a million of those Indiana Jones steps into the nothingness <laughs> moments, right? And then all of a sudden, oh, I can make it across this chasm after all. Yeah. I mean, all it takes is losing your job once to realize... <laughs> I'm not going to die. I'm in that club. <laughs> I can get another job. I can't, you know, I'll figure out benefits. I'll do whatever. And you know, granted, like there are weird exceptions and catastrophic things that happen. And I, I, but for most people, it's that sort of step of faith, leap of faith of, you know what? I, I need to step out and do what I need to do. Um, because, you know, you're only here for, man, it's a short amount of time. Like I'm 52 years old now. Like how did that happen? Yeah. I was 32 when I started my business and I felt like I had all the time in the world. Well, I have a very different perspective now, 20 years later. It's like, uh, I, I've looked back and realized that my life tends to operate in about three to seven year cycles. Like I'll get a job or I'll do something. I'll be on a fairly 
big project or I'll have a book. Like for instance, now is one of these cycles for me. I'm two years into what might be a five or six or seven year cycle. Well, when you're 30 years old, you got a bunch of cycles in front of you and it's no big deal. But when you're 52 years old, like all of a sudden I realized I don't have a lot of seven year periods left, Yeah. especially when it comes Ooh. to work. I mean, I'm going to live to be 150 years old, of course, but we're, <laughs> I'm going to work till I'm like probably 70. That that's just, that's only another 20 years. Yeah. So I got to start picking and choosing now. Like, am I going to just hang on for retirement? Which unfortunately I see a lot of people do because we do a lot of, I've done a ton of work with corporate teams and you know, you just have people uh, sometimes in those places where the benefits are good and the pay is good. And they're just like, I'm just going to hang on 10 more years until yeah. I get my retirement. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I would like jump off a cliff if I had to feel that way, you know? Um, why not follow what you were sort of wired and meant to do? And I think, you know, I think millennials get it more than, oh, yeah. than the boomers did. And you and I are somewhere in between there. I mean, you're way younger than I am, but not you know. way. I'm 46. Okay. So. <laughs> well, you look way younger <laughs> well, I in your t-shirt even and jeans my con- over there. Even without my concealer on. That's right. That's amazing. <laughs> so how do we discover these? I mean, we, we, I understand, um, of course you don't have to convince me. I fully understand how important it is to really work to uncover these things and, to, but, but how, what, what's a kind of a, a first step for uncovering these, um, you know, obviously besides buying your book, which we hope everybody does. Um, but what are some things you can kind of, the book, yeah, the yeah. <laughs> subliminal message. <laughs> Actually, you know what, uh, I hear you want, you want vulnerability. You know, we're talking about the book, like I'm this big author over here. <laughs> I sold two books last month. So there, you know, it's like, we're, I'm not getting rich off this book by any means. Well, I'm writing a book right now. I'm, I'm, I'm already psyching myself out. Like this book is going to basically be used, you know, um, within relay. Of course I give it to relay. I don't, I don't make money off of anything that I create for relay. Um, but I will definitely leverage it to get more speaking gigs on my own. And I've had the thought as I'm writing this book, like this could go nowhere. Well, you know what, (laughs) you know, (laughs) here's this a total side note, but it's, I think it's important for anybody who's ever thought about writing a book, which is a ton of people. A yes, you don't get rich on writing a book. Most people don't. Um, most books that become bestsellers, it's like, total chance, right place, right time. I listened to so many interviews with authors who had best-selling books before, before I wrote my book and while I was writing my book. And overwhelmingly, the common story that I kept hearing from all these big name author type people was I had no idea it was going to be a bestseller. Yeah. I just, I just wrote it because I needed to write it and it just took off on its own. So I, when I wrote, I was like, you know what? I've just been told to write this book. That's all. And I'm just letting the, the universe do the rest. Right. So that's, that's one thing. Um, back to your question about how do you get, how do you get started on this? Um, I'll give you a real simple, straightforward tips on like, this is how we do it in my workshops. This is what's in the book. I'll actually give you what's in the book. So you don't have to go buy it. Um, <laughs> You can start out by asking yourself a few questions and to help identify kind of what the themes are in your life where your superpowers might be at play. So you can ask yourself things like, what do I always find myself doing? Like when I'm thrust into a new project or I'm new in a company or I just even day in, day out when I walk into my office or I start my job, 
what are the things I always find myself doing? What are the roles I keep assuming over and over and over? There may be a hint in there that there's a talent or a skill or an ability that is coming out of you that people are at looking to you for um, and that you actually might enjoy using or you just have a natural talent for. So there's, there's one question to ask yourself is, what do I always find myself doing? Another one is, is what do people always ask me for help with? Because usually people will ask you for help with something that has something to do with your unique superpowers. Um, Not always, because sometimes you just have a lot of experience in something that may or may not have something to do with your superpowers. But there's something that people know about you that they keep asking you for, or they just gravitate to you for. Like a lot of people who are very empathetic or, or great listeners or great advice givers, like people start just gravitating to them for that. So ask yourself that, like, what is it that people always ask me for help with? Maybe some clues in there. Um, what do I do that, that I absolutely know helps other people and makes a difference in the life of somebody else, whether that's my team, whether that's my family and not, and you can't just say things generically like, well, I love my family. And so (laughs) I make a difference, but like, what exactly do you do? Like, are you like an amazing cook and you feed your family or are you like totally into nutrition and, and you've got the healthiest family around because of it? Like that's more specific (laughs) and might be more of a specific clue of like, Hey, there's something about that. Like maybe you love learning and knowledge about food and nutrition and health. And that's, that's your superpower, not just the overarching fact that you love your family, which is great. Don't don't get me wrong. We should all love our families. We should probably love them more than we do. We should tell them that more often. Uh, so those are some of the the types of questions that, that you can ask yourself. Um, Uh, and then look for themes. When you start asking yourself those kind of questions, like, are there some themes that come up? So for me, one of the things that that I found as I, as I asked myself those kind of questions is I'm always idea generating and people are always coming to me looking to help them brainstorm or idea generate. Um, I, I love to travel and explore and like everything that really lights me up has something to do with being new and novel and, and interesting and different. And that ha- all has to do with sort of exploration and, and idea generation and discovery. So I'm like, okay, there must be something in that. And so I've kind of nailed that down to the superpower of uh, one of my superpowers is exploring the new. That's how I phrase it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to not like not worry so much about creating some big fancy title for your superpowers. It might be just like one of my superpowers is listening. Yeah. Or one of my superpowers is organizing space. You know, I'm the Marie Kondo of all my friends, right? <laughs> like, okay, great. Like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, I am the organizing queen of the world who loves to only work on closets. I, I don't know. It, it can just be simple. Just put it in your own words. Don't overthink it, but look for those themes and then see if there's some specific talent or ability or skill within that, that you could pull out and say, maybe that's my superpower and then try it on. You know, do you think it's a mistake to think in terms of, um, what can I monetize? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Um, I, there's (laughs) one of the worst sayings in the world is do what you love and the money will follow. (laughs) That's not always true. (laughs) I love to eat pizza. That doesn't mean I'm going to make any money at it, right? Not one person has ever paid me to eat pizza, unfortunately. (laughs) Now, you know, I use my superpowers in my profession without a doubt. And and you probably do too. And so will everybody else. But to try to like craft a job 
specifically around that or build a company. Um, some people can do that and that's fine, but I wouldn't make that the goal. This is about fulfillment. This is about looking for opportunities to use those powers. And yes, sometimes that will lead to more money or greater opportunity or whatever. But sometimes, uh, again, maybe you are in a job for instance, that you really like, and it has great benefits and you do get paid, but maybe it doesn't line up with your superpowers, but there's no real reason for you to walk away from that. But there is reason for you to find that fulfillment and use those powers to get some satisfaction in your life and have some impact. So is there somewhere else that you can use them? Yeah, You could use them to benefit a charity, or you could use them just to express yourself in a different way outside of work. There's a lot of people who do have those creative talents, like like art or music or those types of things. And there's a million ways to express those that, that benefit the world where you don't make any money necessarily, uh, but you don't care because you're just getting to create your art. One of the HR consultants that we work with, because when, when we partner with employers and do workshops for them, some of the employers are on um, their large enough that they can do some, some training, but they're small enough that they don't have like a full blown HR department. And so what happens is they go through our workshops and then they realize, Oh, we need some consulting around, um, not necessarily, but it could include some compliance issues, but it, mostly what they need is organization or a consultation around, you know, how do we, you know, implement this workshop into our culture, like what we learned to our culture. So they need someone who has an HR mind who thinks in terms of those kinds of strategies. And so we partner with a couple of those consultants and one of those HR consultants, she has 30 years experience and she's just fantastic. And she said, um, I'm all for people following what they're good at, what they're passionate at. But if what you're good at and what you're passionate at doesn't pay your bills, it's your hobby. Yeah. And, and I think that that's actually really wise advice that we live in a day and age, I feel like where it's implied that if you're good at something, that that's what you need to go out and, and make money doing. And while there are people that get to intersect those two things, I feel like I'm one of those people. I almost think that's the exception and not the rule. I mean, I don't know that every person, um, there's a company that, that we've worked with before here in town. Um, that's a call center. They say not one of our employees wakes up in the morning and says, yes, this is my life's goal to answer the phone all day long. And yet they have one of the highest retention rates because of their culture. Yeah. Right now, when I went, to do a workshop with them, we talked at length about how do they align themselves to a higher purpose, even though answering the phones is not their higher purpose. Right. right? And so I think that what I hear you saying is, um, notwithstanding someone at a call center, I don't know if anyone wakes up and says, my, maybe someone's superpower could be that kind of thing. You never know. Um, however, I just, I do think it's important to call that out, that it doesn't have to be something you can make money doing. Some people, their career creates the opportunity for that hobby or that superpower for them to do over here on an, in another part of their life. Absolutely. Um, but I also hear you saying, if you're miserable in your career, you owe it to yourself to kind of explore that a little bit because you're there for so long. Right. You know? I mean, in, in a, in a career has so many factors to it. I mean, you could find a job that looks like it totally lines up with what you love to do and what you're good at and what your superpowers are. But the company values don't align with your values. Mm. So you might have a great job at a company you hate working for. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got a lot of different factors to consider when it comes to career, not just 
the job itself. There's the the people you work with, the people you work for. I mean, you've heard all those statistics too, that, you know, people come, they come to work for a company and they leave because of a boss, right? So it's because you have a values clash or you have mm-hmm. personality clashes, that kind of stuff. I do think though, there is opportunity for many people that they don't realize to find more places within their current job to use their superpowers. I agree. Maybe their current role where they are doesn't necessarily tap into their superpowers, but there may be other projects or other committees or different things within a company that you could participate in where you do get to use your superpowers. So it's sort of like having a hobby within your own company, right? Where you get to express yourself that way and have some impact and, and do things that really light you up while you're doing your job, which maybe you like and it's okay, but it doesn't use your superpowers. So I always encourage people like this isn't about like the grass is green or somewhere else. And there's somebody out there looking for your superpowers, like find ways to use them right where you are. Like, I think that's where we find the greatest satisfaction in life. There's a, a certain amount of like, let's, let's sort of be content and ambitious at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's like okay that. to just be where you are and then look for opportunities to, to be even more you wherever you are. I like to say, identify your choices. You know, if I'm at a job and I'm, I don't like what I'm doing, right? Maybe I have a great company and I, and I want, maybe I'm someone who needs a security and really values the security of a, of a salary, right? Forget the fact that none of us really has job security. I mean, any, right. we're in an at-will state, <laughs> you know, however, I can see how the perception would be that's more secure than let's say starting your own business, right? There's a lot of risks with that. So let's say I value that security, but I don't really value as much what I'm doing at work. Maybe I'm not in my superpower. You do have the choice to talk to someone about that, to talk to your boss about, are there other opportunities, even other roles here at this company where maybe my skills, the things I'm passionate about could be more adequately utilized in exploring that. I did that once um, in my corporate job before I started at Relay. And um, it took a little bit of time, but eventually they created a position for me Mm -hmm. that while it didn't tick one of the boxes that I really wanted, which I realized was only going to be fulfilled with what I'm doing now. I just didn't know it then. Um, It did give me, it stretched me as an individual to really exercise my choice of having that difficult conversation with my boss of like, listen, I, I love working for you. I love this place. I feel like what I'm doing is, is boring. It doesn't ignite me. And here's what I'd like to do over here. Can, and actually for a while I did both jobs until yeah. I had to scream uncle cause it was too much work. And then they finally let me create a new position. And so that's not everybody's story. I get that, but let's not forget that we do have the opportunity to, as you said, not just go to other projects, but there might be an opportunity for another role. Yeah. Um, as a leader, if I've got people working for me and I've got something over here, someone's better suited for, I want to get them in the right place. Absolutely. Sure. I think people have this uh, misperception about their boss or bosses or leaders in their company that, you know, they're just sitting there kind of wanting you to stay where you are do, doing your thing. And th- to a certain degree, yeah, like we want to, we want to make sure we get our work done and everybody's kind of focused and all of that. But as a leader and a boss myself, I want my people to like do their best work. And if that's doing something besides what they're doing now, like I want to figure out, do we have a place to put them and, and bring that best work out? Can I line up their superpowers with something we need Yeah, and we'll all benefit from that? Uh, it, it can't always do it, but you know, if someone came to me as a boss and I realized I am the greatest boss in the world, I mean, duh, of course, um, <laughs> 
But if someone came to one of my employees came to me and, and had that conversation, I, I would have to take a step back and go, yeah, I want this person to be happy and fulfilled, especially if they're, if they're a good employee and I know they're a talented person and they match our values and all of that. I'm going to do everything I can to get you in the right place for you if I can. And if I can't, I've, I've always promised my people, honestly, if I can't, I will help you find it somewhere else Yeah, because you deserve that. Like life's again, back to the life's too short. Like let's all figure out stuff that lights us up and be happy. And I want those kind of people in my company. So if it's not you, if you can't fit, then let's get you where you fit and we'll get somebody who fits better where you are. And that's fine. I'm totally okay with that. Even though it's a pain in the butt sometimes to go through that process. It is. You know, likewise, I always tell people you have way more control over your destiny than you think you do. Your boss, honestly, he wants the best for you. He wants the best for your company. He wants the best. He wants everything to be a win-win or she wants everything to be a win-win. So don't be afraid to have those conversations to say, I've identified what my real strengths are, what my talents are, and they're not being used fully here, but here's how I think they could be. Or here's an opportunity I see. Could I go do that for a while? Could I could I shift over that way, or could I take that extra project or roll on? You know, sometimes people are like you said. I was doing both jobs. Well, that's what most people who start businesses do yep. is they they end up doing two things at once. Like I start a business while they're working full time, and you can do that internally too. If you're not an entrepreneurially minded person, maybe you're an intrapreneur where you could actually create that. But it might mean a little extra work for you while you make that transition totally fine if you end up where you want to go. That's actually a great position to be in. I oh, mean, yeah. you've got your day job funding your side gig. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, well, when I started my business, I, you know, you talk about like um, things that you, you love doing, you're passionate about, but they don't make you money. Those are hobbies, right? <laughs> well, when I started my business, I did work full time. I worked at this design firm and I, it was a place I'd worked for seven years. I wanted to treat them right. They treated me right. It was a fantastic opportunity. I realized not everybody gets the chances that I got like I did at that company. And so I slowly transitioned out over the course of about a year. And then I got going in my business, but I didn't pay myself for the next, uh, I think it was the next two years after that. So the first wow. three years of my business, I didn't make any money. I just invested back in the business and kept growing it until one day my wife looked at me, <laughs> my, my sugar mama. I love you, Eve. Um, she, uh, she looked at me and she said, you have a really nice hobby there. Um, but you either need to like give up your hobby or get a job or something, but you need, you need to start paying yourself. She was tired of floating me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I paid myself the very next week and I paid myself every, every two weeks since then and never missed a paycheck for me or anyone else. And I'm very proud of that. That's awesome. Uh, But yeah, it was like, yeah, for a while there it was a hobby. Um, (laughs) and you almost have to make that commitment, you know, like I had to commit to making it more than a hobby. I had to, then I would, I was actually all in when I started paying myself, I was all in. Yeah. I had to make it work because now, now, now my livelihood depends on it. It was a very, it was a big shift moment. Well, tell us real quick, Mark, how can people get a hold of you? How can they connect with you either through like a website or an email address or something? How can they connect with you to learn more about Ordinary Superpowers? How can they get your book? That kind of stuff. Yes. The book is on Amazon. It's on Audible. You can find it there. Uh, Ordinary Superpowers is the name of the book. Unleash the full potential of your most natural talents. Um, And I have a website. It's just Mark Henson, M-A-R-K-H-E-N-S-O-N dot M-E book is also available there and there's my blog and all that fun stuff there too. And pretty pictures of me. Oh, 
Oh, oh, I have yes. to check that out. I can't, I don't remember if I saw, <laughs> if I saw those. Well, Mark, you certainly delivered. You promised you would be a wonderful interviewee and that has been, uh, you've exceeded my expectations actually. And so I really appreciate you sharing so, um, openly and vulnerably and also given us, I mean, I took notes. You gave lots of good information on ordinary superpowers. And, um, I think it's time for me to reread the book because I need, I need to refresher myself. So I want to thank you again for being on the Slapcast today. Well, thank you. And, and, uh, I think I may have shared this with you before, but like Relay has meant a lot to me. I've loved everything I've ever done with you guys. Um, you invited me, uh, as your guest one time to Bob Goff, who came and spoke here in Columbus. And, uh, that was one of the hardest weeks of my entire life. And I remember that, that, that session with, with Bob, where I got to hear him speak and his love and his positivity and everything that goes along with it, um, along with your, your graciousness and your invitation and your understanding of where I happened to be at that moment. Uh, you know, it's, it always meant a lot to me. And so I feel like weirdly intimately connected to you and this, and this organization. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to be a part of it in any way I can. Well, thank you. And we're thrilled to have you here until next time. Hey, Jonathan. We're done. I'm Mark Henson, the chief and uh, See, there we go. Yeah, professional podcaster here. (laughs) (laughs) You can keep that in if you want. Yeah.